Our talks made me remember why I loved the movies. Back in Tampa, I'd never thought of the screen as a flat white surface. It was a cosmos. Where else could stars come from but an infinite sky? Nowadays, people arrange their furniture around their television sets and expect the world to come to them. But what I sought from the movies back then was to be transported, to be initiated into mysteries. And transported, we shall be into the life of one of those stars, Colleen Moore, by way of Doreen O'Dare in the new novel From Dust to Stardust by author Kathleen Rooney. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the library. Yes, that's right, the library of the Golden Silent Films podcast. We are so glad to have you here listening to this very special episode. It's a first ever episode for us on a couple of different fronts. We've done episodes featuring movies, biographies, even super niche topics like inventors of silent film and movie advertising. But for this occasion, however, we are going on our first ever book-centric podcast undertaking. And if that wasn't cool enough on its own, you fine listeners get to hear, yes, that is right, you get to hear from our awesome guest. Before we open our dog-eared copy of the book, let's give the usual Golden Silent Films podcast social media roundup. As usual, please head over to Golden Silence Cast on Instagram for up-to-date info on this little podcast. And for all of you folks on X or Twitter, just follow at Golden Silence one or just search the description for the description of Golden Silence Cast, and we ought to pop up. All of these screen names and sites will be in the episode description in case you are interested in checking us out. We would love to have you on board as we make our way into a magical fourth season. At both social spaces, you'll get behind-the-scenes pics and info, upcoming episode reveals, and other fun film-related materials. While our podcasts don't read much, when you're as cute as them, you certainly don't need to read. Also, if you're out there in the world listening to this program on Spotify or Apple Podcast, do leave a review, a rating, or both. Our show has been around for over three years now, and we only have 11 reviews on iTunes. We would love to see that number grow, and you great silent film fans out there can make it happen. All of those ratings and reviews help so, so much. Live your best review leaving life and help our little show grow and reach fellow silent film fans across the globe. Whether getting us more exposure in the world of podcasts or letting us know how we can improve, we appreciate the feedback and always want to bring you the best show possible. And do subscribe to the Golden Silent Films podcast. While our output can be a bit spotty, if you are subscribed, you will never miss an episode. The moment new content drops, it will go straight to your listening device of choice. Now, we are at the end of our third season, with this actually the season finale, and don't want you to miss a second of our upcoming grand voyage of a fourth season. So before we dive into the book discussion proper, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the genesis of this episode. Now, as you are probably all painfully quite aware, the irregularity of content drops with this podcast are consistently, well, inconsistent. It's been a goal for a while to put out more episodes with some level of regularity. To make that happen, though, we've been thinking about adding new types of content to fill out our broadcast schedule. The idea of a book review episode every now and again has always been high on that list of new content ideas to incorporate. As a result of making this show, we have amassed an incredible library of silent movie-related books. Between physical and virtual, I couldn't even try counting the books that have gone into making this podcast exist. So many books. And a lot of them are really great reads only to get referenced for a moment or two before moving on to the next portion of the episode. So... 
the addition of a book-centric episode to the Golden Silent Films podcast lineup. It's a place where we can put over some of these great books we've enjoyed through the course of making this show. The number of fun, interesting, and highly detailed books covering silent movies is vast, and the variety is pretty wild as well. There's biographies, autobiographies, making ofs, textbooky things, as well as books written by silent stars that really have little to do with the silent era at all. So much to dive into, including this episode's featured book, an historical fiction novel called From Dust to Stardust. But before we move on, though, it's time for another first on the Golden Silent Films podcast. To this point in the show's history, the only voice you find folks out there have heard is mine. What a boring fate to be stuck with just my voice. So, for the first time ever, and in an effort to freshen up the proceedings, let's hear from Kathleen Rooney, author of From Dust to Stardust. This is Kathleen Rooney, and I live in Chicago, Illinois, which is where I am recording this, and I am the author of the novel From Dust to Stardust, which is inspired by the life and the work of the silent movie star Colleen Moore. I came to know about Colleen and her work by way of her amazing one-ton fairy castle, which is housed in Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. And I went to see it when I was eight years old, and it blew my mind, not just because of its own beauty, but because of all the information that the museum had surrounding it, explaining who Colleen was, her career, the fact that she had one brown eye and one blue eye, and the fact that when she had completed the castle, she toured it around the country during the Great Depression to raise money for various communities and for children's charities. And I think then as now, I was mesmerized by a person who would dedicate herself to creating such an object of enchantment and wonder, and then who would embark on such an ambitious scheme to try to raise people's spirits. So I hope that the book will send people back to the castle if they haven't seen it or to see it again if they have, and then also to see the films of Colleen's which remain and are available to be seen. And like so many stars, many of her best works are no longer available. Um, she had donated them to MoMA, but MoMA failed to preserve them properly. But the good news is that there are still a handful of them out there to be watched. And I especially like her comedies, Elta Cinders, uh, and Why Be Good. So um, I also recommend Orchids and Ermine and the 11-minute clip of Flaming Youth that's still available on YouTube through the Library of Congress. Thank you so much for that, Kathleen Rooney. That was awesome. Great entry point into our discussion today. Now, having just heard from Kathleen Rooney, I wanted to introduce her a little more officially. A chance to let you fine folks out there know a little bit more about her literary bona fides. Rooney is a founding editor of Rose Metal Press and a founder of Poems While You Wait. Her most recent books include the novels Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk and Cher Ami and Major Whittlesey. On the topic of Cher Ami and Major Whittlesey, I recently picked it up and have been loving it. From Dust to Stardust was my entry point into the works of Kathleen Rooney, but now I am having a great time reaching into that back catalog. She paints just as vivid mental pictures in this book, though in a decidedly different world than the Hollywood we're about to talk about. But those emotional moments I loved with Doreen are here as well, and pack just as much punch. And it really gives a new perspective on events we know all too well, through the eyes of two unlikely characters. Now, her poetry collection, Where Are the Snows, 
won the 2021 XJ Kennedy Prize and was published by Texas Review Press in fall of 2022. She is a winner of the Ruth Lilly Prize from Poetry Magazine and the Adam Morgan Literary Citizen Award from the Chicago Review of Books. And it is with all that talent and experience that Kathleen Moore turned her attention to one of the biggest stars of the silent era, Colleen Moore. Earlier in the show's history, we lived our greatest rags to richest dreams vicariously through a movie called Ella Cinders. In fact, that was the sixth episode of the show we ever did. It was a fun movie that led to, we think, a really fun and interesting episode. Aside from the movie itself, the focus of that show was actress Colleen Moore. And that movie was our entry point into the fascinating and oftentimes surprising life of Colleen Moore. In case you missed that episode, here is a quick uh, little refresher about some of the pertinent details surrounding this great comedic actress. In her relatively short on-screen career, she rose to the highest levels of fame. Unfortunately, her, a lot of her work didn't survive for modern audiences to enjoy. But despite all that, she is definitely a favorite here around the offices of the Golden Silent Films podcast. Colleen Moore was born Kathleen Morrison on August 19, 1899. Like we just mentioned, Moore was one of the biggest names of the silent era. Her jazz-age flapper characters and bobbed haircut defined that period of film history. She was able to carve out her own path as she acted with and around some of the biggest names in film history. One of her most celebrated film roles came in 1923's Flaming Youth, where she played Patricia Fentress. Her role in Ella Cinders came in 1926, a film produced by her first husband, John McCormick. She worked regularly from 1917 to 1929, with a few appearances before and after that. Despite the success of Flaming Youth, its post-release life was one we hear here all too often. Like a great number of Colleen's films, this one did not survive, save for a few frames here and there. Colleen Moore would make a handful of on-screen appearances after the transition to sound, only to retire from acting not long after. It was the dawning of the new audio-centric era in filmmaking, and Colleen took her passions and interests elsewhere. In addition to those mad acting skills, Moore had an incredibly astute financial mind. This would fully manifest after her film career, where she maintained her wealth through smart investments, eventually becoming a partner of Merrill Lynch with her third husband. She even wrote a how-to book about investing in the stock market. Colleen Moore was truly a person of many talents. Speaking of many talents and interests, throughout her life, Moore had had a penchant for all things miniature. In fact, starting with childhood, she collected all sorts of miniature items. This love started with stories of fairies and a dollhouse built by her father. What it would become, no one could have guessed. And it is something each of you fine listeners can still check out to this day. The actress assembled a group of her movie industry colleagues to help build a miniature home. Not just a miniature home, but a monstrous, monstrous miniature home. She shared it during the Great Depression, touring the country to raise funds for children's charities. Then this one-of-a-kind castle was welcomed into its new home at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, where it has enchanted people of all ages since 1949. The dollhouse, measuring 9 square feet with a 1985 estimated worth of $7 million, is seen by 1.5 million people annually. According to the Museum of Science and Industry website, from the chapel's floor-to-ceiling stained glass to the flickering of the tiniest lights, every inch on display is a study in artistry and craftsmanship. The fairy castle is virtually a museum within our museum, a collection of miniature treasures in every room. From inch-square books signed by the world's greatest authors to statues nearly 2,000 years old, 
Though the castle's magical residents are never seen, we know for certain they have exquisite taste. Now, that all leads us into talk of more of that miniature house, and one of the inciting incidences that led Kathleen Rooney to write this novel was seeing Colleen Moore's fairy house for the first time as a child. Rooney writes, Through a quirk of fate, my family had moved from Louisiana to Illinois in 1988. That summer, my parents took my sisters and me to Chicago's beloved Museum of Science and Industry. There, though it's not especially scientific or industrial, I fell under the spell of Colleen Moore's fairy castle. Bedecked with diamonds and pearls, emeralds and alabaster, this astonishing structure had been constructed by an obvious genius, and she'd done it in service of providing a home for the fairies from the tales I adored for their unvarnished perils and elemental strangeness. Aside from its inspirational qualities, this, this magical house also plays a big part in the book's story and narrative structure. I talked about it in my Ellisinders episode and seen photos online, but to see the house in person must be an incredibly amazing experience, one that I hope to check off my silent film bucket list in the near future. But if photos online are your only option, that's really not a bad way to go either. As someone who has seen it live, though, Rooney tells me how magical and inspiring of an experience it was seeing it in person. Just like cinema itself, the castle is a visual delight. So there's nothing that beats seeing it yourself in person, she told me. But I do think photographs can do it a decent amount of justice. Interestingly enough, because unless you can shrink yourself to fairy size and walk through each room, there are tiny, tiny details upon details you cannot see outside the plexiglass that surrounds it in the MSI basement. I recommend the old and out of print, but still gettable, Within the Fairy Castle book, which walks the reader through each room with sumptuous photographs, many in the kind of close-up you could never do in real life. Something so magical isn't something you are one and done with. This house is a sight to behold and gives you something new and exciting to discover each and every time you explore. It's that magic that keeps bringing Kathleen Rooney back over and over again. And now, having gone back and seen it through the eyes of adulthood, she remains as awestruck as ever. If anything, she explains, I love it even more now because I have a more intellectual grasp on how hard she had to work to get it just right. I think of her as a director. She directed the castle like one would direct a film, and she nailed it. This house that Colleen Moore spent near a lifetime protect perfecting and adding to still carries with it an aura all its own. It continues to serve as an inspiration to all of those who have seen it. It serves as a connection, too, not just to a film star, but an incredible person who saw magic in an oftentimes harsh world and built a house to spread that joy and love to others. In fact, seeing it today is just as magical as when it was being constructed, Rooney feels. We will always, always need wonder and awe. Seeing something beautiful that is not meant for any one person, but for all people in all places and times, gives humanity the kind of long view that we are often lacking, a view that can increase feelings of solidarity, solidarity and compassion, she explained to me. One of the first things that any reader of From Dust to Stardust will realize when they dive in is that there is nary a mention of Colleen Moore or Kathleen Morrison, her birth name. This book instead takes the reader through the life of Doreen O'Dare, born Eileen Sullivan, through the youth and growing up and blowing up in Hollywood. While she does meet and interact with some names you all know, others are transformed as well. Now, as someone who's not an author, I found it really interesting narrative choice. Luckily for us, Kathleen Rooney was very open about this choice when we talked about it together. Rooney explained to me, 
Biography is a wonderful genre, and I often read it like a form of self-help, seeing what a famous and respected, or infamous and disrespected person did in a given situation is often insightful and instructive. But I'm not a biographer. I lack that fidelity to just the facts. There's already a biography of Colleen Moore out there and her own autobiography, which is sparkling and delightful. I like, as a fiction writer, to have the leeway to add and subtract from what really happened in service of making a better and more entertaining story. One that does not stick to facts per se might convey a greater sense of truth. Official history can say what happened, whereas historical fiction can immerse you in how it felt. I'm really drawn to that idea of how it felt. Well, having read and enjoyed and loved this book, I can definitely say she excelled at that. The experience of reading this book is to be immersed in the life of Doreen O'Dare. Being able to be in the character's brain and feel their emotions during seminal life events really makes the story something incredibly compelling, something you feel deep down inside, instead of just getting random dates and life events. You're part of the story and transported to a world as exciting and fascinating as anything you could live and feel right now. Rooney adds, The past to me is a place that you can visit, almost like a country, if you use your imagination like a time machine, and that's what I've done in all three of my historical novels, including, I hope, From Dust to Stardust. Also, I think that biographies and official histories often stake a claim at being authoritative or definitive, and I like the more complicated nature of historical fiction. It muddies the waters in a useful way, ideally reminding the reader that every account, even supposedly official ones, have an agenda, a perspective, a subjectivity. So it was fun for me to get to write not as Colleen, she's done that, but to write as Doreen, which has never been done. Now, since this is a story about one of the biggest stars of the silent era, it seems only proper to get Kathleen Rooney's views on the silent film world. Her recollections of silence go back to an age before the concept of a silent movie ever existed for her, as well as going back to one of the most famous addresses of all time. My first exposure to silent film, she told me, must have been on Sesame Street, those funny sketches where Maria would pretend to be Charlie Chaplin. Before I had ever heard of Chaplin, I was watching Maria, played by Sonia Manzano, do a dead-on impression of him and asking my mom, what is she doing? That was my gateway, for which I am forever grateful. Her love of silent cinema goes far beyond children's television, however. My favorite silence includes Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans by F.W. Murnau, The Wind, starring Lillian Gish, and Ella Cinders, starring, of course, Colleen Moore. I also love the strange and wonderful film The Red Kimono, which I got to write about for The Believer, and I believe is weirdly ahead of its time. The Passion of Joan of Arc is a favorite as well, along with Stroheim's Foolish Wives and King Vidor's Show People, starring Marion Davies, who is so incredibly funny. Now, if you want to check out Kathleen's article about the Red Kimona, we will have that link on the show's info section. Before we get too deep into the book discussion, though, it seems as good a time as any to reiterate that this is a completely new venture here at the Golden Silent Films podcast. Talking entire books is a new avenue to go down, but unlike our movie chat sessions, the spoilers will be kept to a minimum here. We'll talk about broad concepts, themes, and moments with a bit of color commentary from the author Kathleen Rooney. I said it earlier and I will continue saying it, buy this book. This episode will just be scratching the tip of the iceberg. It is filled with so many great and memorable moments, we'd feel terrible if we spoiled all of them for you. So with the setup out of the way, let's get into the book proper. Now the basic concept of the book's narrative is that an older Doreen is being interviewed by a reporter at the Museum of Science and Industry, where her miniature fairy mansion now resides. 
As they go from room to room, this unlocks memories that we, the reader, get to experience through the eyes of Doreen. It really is an awesome conceit that allows for some really fluid storytelling and gives the house an air of wonder. Now, this dollhouse is kind of a big deal, not just from an artistic or aesthetic sense either. In reading this novel, I can really say it was a lifesaver mentally for Doreen. I suppose it could have been potentially a lifesaver in the literal sense as well. Though Doreen slash Colleen had been a collector of all things miniature her whole life, it was this construction project at this particular time in this particular place that gave the actress a new outlook on life. Doreen, via Kathleen Rooney's pen, explains, exhilarating to seize so much control, to be director and producer of the dollhouse combined, to be not out in front but behind, constructing a magic world of make-believe that reflected me but didn't feature me. This was that old feeling again, the sense of fun and possibility that I'd had while borrowing makeup from Mildred Harris, showing up on the triangle lot to perform in my own clothes. The dollhouse seemed as fresh as the pictures did when they began there in that land over which D.W. Griffith cried, Let there be light. The tale of young Eileen's life is one of my favorites in the whole book. Sure, there's a lot of great Hollywood insider kind of stuff later on, but it was these interactions Eileen had with her family that really gave the character a heart and really endeared her to me as I read through the book. Now, it's easy to get wrapped up in the Hollywood glitz and glamour of Doreen's later life, but those early familial bits... They really laid the foundation for everything that would come later. From a religiously devout mother and a father bouncing from job to job and town to town, you see a lot of what Eileen had to overcome to get where she made it to. There was a lot going against her, but it was her grandmother who gave the young girl the support she desperately needed. What we learn about the young girl is that she was incredibly positive, and it's this close relationship with her grandmother that really sets the stage for Doreen for years to come. This relationship instills a sense of magic, wonder, and positivity in a girl that serves her well as she navigates the ups and downs of life as a grown adult in the showbiz industry. Speaking of that wonder, it was her Granny Shaughnessy who first told her about the magic of the fairies. Doreen would say, Granny's devotion to the good people was braided with her devotion to storytelling, and she'd move seamlessly between anecdotes from her youth and ancient accounts of fairy escapades. Now, I wasn't the only one who found gold in those early years. I was really curious as to what segment of life Kathleen Rooney must have found the most interesting as she wrote this novel. I mean, there's so much fascinating stuff that Doreen found herself caught up in as an adult in the wild world of Hollywood, but those early family dynamics also appealed to Rooney as well. My favorite things to look into were the Irish folk tales and fairy tales, she told me. I loved getting to build up Granny Shaughnessy's character as a believer in not just Catholicism and God, but the good people, as fairies get called in Ireland, and then to consider how the magic of folklore is and is not similar to the magic of popular culture as it gets filtered onto the silver screen in the movies. One of the things I loved about this novel was its depiction of various places of that era. You really do feel like you're part of the scene. This is another point where Kathleen Rooney's attention to detail really pays off, especially if you're a silent movie fan. The picture Rooney paints throughout the book makes the story come alive for me as a reader who never experienced many of the book's locales. But for me, though, not all of those locations and experiences were a totally foreign concept. One of my favorite parts of the novel came in the various times Doreen would visit San Simeon and the estate of William Randolph Hearst. Well, I suppose calling it an estate is downplaying the location a bit. For me, as a California kid, it was always Hearst Castle. Growing up, every few years we would take a road trip to visit the insane and crazy, but equally amazing Hearst Castle. 
While my friends were fawning over Disneyland, Universal Studios, or Knott's Berry Farm, my interest leaned towards the opulence and decadence of the, in my childhood eyes, coolest building ever. So much so that even when home, I would regularly turn to my Viewmaster and my set of three-dimensional reels documenting Hearst Castle. That was my childish attempt to relive those tours through, to me, was the height of technology at the time. By the time we would go for visits, it was more of a museum than the living, breathing place it was in the prime of William Randolph Hearst. From themed parties to guests with some of the biggest names in the world, it was the place to be. But I only ever knew it as the empty, no-touching-alone monument to incredible wealth. And from dust to stardust, I finally got to feel what it was like when those wild parties and fancy dinners were in full swing. Doreen's interactions with Hearst were incredibly fascinating and showed me a side of the man I never knew. In fact, I wasn't the only one to find out new and fun information that came from these Hearst Castle soirees. Rooney writes, My favorite nugget is one I have Marion Davies say in the big Hearst Castle party scene, which is that they had a floor imported from Pompeii and knew that people had actually died on it. Such weird extravagance. Speaking of Marion Davies, I always enjoyed the time she would pop in and out of Doreen's life. I really enjoyed their friendship, and it was cool to see William Randolph Hearst from these perspectives. Another side person I enjoyed reading about was Clara Bow. Doreen's feelings towards Clara always cracked me up. Seeing their quasi-passive-aggressive rivalry go on throughout the story were always welcome moments that entertained me endlessly. As you can probably tell, the research that went into this novel was top-notch. And it wasn't just research into life. It was the research to build out a full world that feels alive and jumps off the page. As someone who does a show with tons of research, I can truly appreciate the work Kathleen Rooney puts into her work. I mean, I put a lot of work into making this podcast exist and to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I am nowhere near even the smallest, smallest sliver of a percentage of what Rooney manages to imbue her novel with. Even just reading a few pages will show you how much the author loves diving into her subjects wholeheartedly. Research is one of my favorite things on the planet to do because you get to feel like a private investigator, working hard on your own secret case, she told me. I could stay in the research phase forever because of how many details and discoveries it's possible to chase up, but I do try to limit myself or I'd never get to the actual writing. For most of my books, including this one, I'd say I did extensive research for about a year and a half or so. I tend to divide my research into categories based on what I need to know to produce verisimilitude on a given subject. So this one I broke down into the castle, silent movies in California in the 1910s to 1930s in Chicago, and so forth, and just approached each from as many angles as possible. Books, biographies, autobiographies, films, first-hand accounts, newspapers, magazines, the works. So... As I was reading the novel, one of the things that caught me by surprise was what Colleen Moore slash Doreen crossed paths with Sesu Hayakawa. Here at the Golden Silent Films podcast, we are huge fans of Hayakawa, so it came as quite a surprise that their paths had crossed. And not only did they cross paths, but they even starred in a movie together. Now that is pretty wild, awesome, mind-blowing stuff. Kathleen Rooney also found herself surprised by this friendship, amongst other unexpected nuggets of information. Yes, she was a fan and a friend of his, and that's part of why she had the lifelong affinity for Japan and liked to travel there when she could. I was so touched by their unlikely friendship, Rooney told me. I also liked the anecdote I included about how Colleen 
and therefore, in my case, Doreen, really did run into a woman at a cast party who claimed to be her. So, the life of Colleen, Doreen, was all about friendships and positive interactions. She was always looking at the bright side of things. Even when she shouldn't, she still kept faith that things might change. One aspect of the novel I found especially entertaining was the incredible attention paid to the personal relationships of Doreen. Any book can give you dates and filmographies, but it's those interpersonal things inside those moments that hook you. And it was even more interesting to see how those relationships, for better or worse, affected the life of Doreen, Colleen. And to make the life story even more interesting, these relationships run the gamut from familial to lustful flings and affairs to good, bad, and indifferent marriages. As an aside, these personal events in Doreen's life also had their identifying info changed. So it was a fun game of historical exploration to figure out some of these folks' names. I definitely wasn't super knowledgeable enough on my own, so having a phone nearby was a great cheat. To be clear, though, that's not me dinging the book for any points. As a reader, you lose nothing from the narrative perspective, and the story is still equal parts enthralling and gripping. It just adds a little fun side match game if you wish to dig a little deeper. While we're talking about digging deeper, let's get this book discussion back on track and discuss the strength Doreen exhibited as she dug out of quite a few bad situations in her life. These spans of time were really hard to read. The whole first third to half of the book saw me falling in love with Doreen. Her character, her personality, and her spirit are things you buy into really early on. I became her biggest fan, cheering her on her victories and lamenting her disappointments. And that is where we need to start talking about the next bit. Rooney paints such a vivid picture of Doreen that my heart broke over her various romantic relationships covered in the book. Whether it was the love that couldn't exist with a Victor Marquis, or a love that shouldn't exist with her first husband, Jack Flanagan, there was always some level of heartbreak and disappointment in those early relationships. Despite the roller coaster of life, you had to admire the resilience of Doreen. Now Doreen, via Rooney's pen, says, People who have the ability to keep going unscathed through scathing ordeals are believed by outsiders not to feel those things. But the depth of our feeling is the very reason we have to keep moving. Back in Tampa, while the other kids were frightened of the bay, I would push away from shore and slip across the waves. But underneath, I was kicking and kicking, a smile on my face, my face on my head, my head above water where I needed it to stay. That is a beautifully written line, and it's something that stuck with me long after reading the book. I think Colleen was incredibly strong when it came to her various love affairs and romances and surviving the ups and downs. I mean, you probably know this, a lot of stars' lives took tragic turns for less, and though her film career wasn't super long, she really ended up with quite an extraordinary life. She was resilient, Rooney told me, but more than that, she was cheerful. She was exuberant. She seemed to know that we've got a limited time here on the earth, and that a wise move is to make the most of it, focusing on joyful things and not the odious things that try to bog us down. I fear that sometimes when I say things like that about her, it'll sound like toxic positivity or something like that, but that's not what I mean. I just mean that her wisdom and sagacity seem to flow from her exaltation of spirit and practice of happiness as a skill. Not only was the building of her dollhouse cathartic and good for her spirit and personal well-being, but it also provided an opportunity for Doreen to help those less fortunate. Her putting the magical house of miniature on tour allowed for the raisings of funds for those who needed it most. One of my favorite bits from the book comes from Doreen talking about what the house could mean to others. Doreen says, 
my resources weren't commensurate to the scale of need. My role, as I saw it, was to give, but also inspire others to give, not from obligation alone, but from a sense of fun. There's nothing more disempowering than despair. As much as the money, I wanted to bring people hope. There was a lot to like about the Doreen Dollhouse tour of giving. I especially appreciated the itinerary for local reasons. The novel lists off the cities she hit with the house, with Pittsburgh being our favorite for obvious reasons. The book reads, In every city, we'd display the dollhouse at a department store, and the visitors would pay a small fee to see it. One dime for children, two for adults. The department stores would collect matching funds from local benefactors and dispense the proceeds to kids' charities in the community. Never having written a novel, I can only imagine the sheer volume of information that is collected in the process of writing a book like this. I figure there's got to be a lot of great information and stories that just don't make the narrative cut. I mean, it must have been incredibly heavy work to convert a life like hers into a mere 266 pages. I asked Kathleen if there were any bits and backstory that she was bummed about having to cut out. Yes, yes, yes. One of the things she one of the things about historical fiction is not just figuring out what to include, but what to leave out, she told me. A biographer can be exhaustive, but in fiction it would just be exhausting. Once, when Colleen was shooting a film called The Desert Flower, she broke her neck in a botched stunt. That whole episode, how it happened, how hurt she was without totally realizing it, how she had to be rushed to the hospital and put in a body cast for weeks, how close she came to not being able to walk again, was fascinating and full of drama, but it was too much out in the weeds for me to cram into the novel. So, I had to reluctantly leave it out, but I'm glad I did, because people can read about it in Colleen's own autobiography if they are inclined, and the novel is slimmer and better paced for its absence. As I came to the end of the novel, I had one of those moments where I was sad to leave Doreen behind. The sign of a great book is the connection you make to the characters whose adventures you're following. From Dust to Stardust is a perfect example of this. I was hooked on Doreen's story and sad to see it end. If that happens as a reader, I imagine it has to happen to the author to an even larger extent. I was really curious about what it was like mentally as Rooney finished writing a book like this. I mean, she has been inside the head of someone else for so long and felt and conveyed so many emotions and experienced so many things. Kathleen Rooney told me, Whenever I finish writing a book, I feel happy and accomplished. It's a hard thing to do, like running a marathon. Not that I've ever done that, but still. But I also feel bummed out because the characters have become like friends or friendly ghosts. Writing a novel is like haunting yourself, and it's sad when the house of yourself goes quiet and that spirit slowly departs. But then you have to find a new way to haunt yourself, a new friendly ghost. So I'm already on to the next project. With our adventures into the life of Doreen, and Colleen for that matter, ending, I was interested in getting Rooney's wrap-up of the actress. Colleen Moore had an amazing career and touched, touched a lot of people's lives, and I was excited to hear her thoughts on her, seeing as the author has spent so much time living with her in the writing of this great novel. If I had to summarize Colleen, and therefore Doreen, in a single term or phrase, Rooney told me, it would be joy de vivre, or the joy of living. I admire people who do whatever they can do to bring joy to a world that often tries to crush joy and enchantment to a world that is too often disenchanting. Now, I could not have said it better, and that is the perfect way to close up this wonderful adventure. So as we wind up the life of Colleen Moore and Doreen O'Dare, to sum everything up, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I loved it, actually, and I'm far from the only one that feels that way. New York Times bestselling author Amy Harmon wrote, 
If you love unexplored history, vibrant, strong women, and the glamour and grit of early Hollywood, you will love this story. Full of magic and moxie, From Dust to Stardust is a Depression-era Cinderella story that leaves its mark. From Dust to Stardust works because it seems to be creating a movie in your mind, writes Chris Hewitt from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. The novel even got a starred review from Booklist, which said, Kathleen Rooney deftly weaves delectable film and women's history into her enrapturing tale. Her delight in the real story behind this richly faceted novel burnishes it to a bewitching luster. I would be doing you fine listeners out there a disservice if I stopped extolling the virtues of this book. I have to keep recommending it. If you're a silent film fan or a fan of old Hollywood, this is the book for you. It takes a lot of what you know and wraps it into a more personal, easily accessible context. It does impressive work in translating such a vibrant era of the entertainment history to the written word. It also goes without saying, if you're a lover of Colleen Moore, this book is must-read. There are so many little gems throughout the story. You may think you know a lot about her already, but this incredible novel will surely give you a few surprises. If you're interested in picking it up, go no further than the ubiquitous Amazon, but you can also get it anywhere books are sold. Go ahead, buy it now, or borrow from a library, and you can thank us later. There is no doubt around here that it will be a favorite if you're into any of the subject matter it covers. And heck, even if you're not, it's still an incredibly great book with a very, very good story at the heart. Now, before and after you get to reading From Dust to Stardust, there is a lot of great content from Kathleen Rooney that we can't praise enough. You can find her website at KathleenRooney.com. Here you can find information on all her projects and see what she is up to next. Also, head on over to the, over to the website of Poems While You Wait, the collective of on-demand typewriter poetry Rooney co-runs, which is a way she tries to bring a little magic and enchantment to the world like Colleen did before her. That site can be found at poemswhileyouwait.tumblr.com. And don't forget to check out Rose Metal Press, which is the press she co-runs in an effort to help get other beautiful books out into the world. You can find that at rosemetalpress.com. And also, if you ever want to see the house itself, head on over to www.msichicago.org for the website of the Museum of Science and Industry, and you can see all the great events going on centered around Colleen Moore's famous house. And with that, our first trip to the Scholastic Book Fair of Silent Films comes to a close. While this was our first jaunt into the world of the written word, you can be assured it will not be our last. There are so many great books out there, and we have only just begun. And the biggest of thank yous goes out to Kathleen Rooney, who was incredibly gracious and up for answering every question I sent her way. It was truly a pleasure to talk to her, and I hope all of you out there grab the book and check out her other fantastic works. She was super cool, and I can't thank her enough for giving so much to this podcast. It was an incredible experience, and I hope we get to talk about silent films again in the future. And we're just a small little show, so getting to talk and getting to pick the brain of really incredibly talented individuals out there is really amazing and something that makes doing this show worthwhile to learn from these people and... Again, Kathleen Rooney, thank you so much out there for for providing your great insights, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did making it. And, like I mentioned earlier, all of the, her links will be in the show description, so if you want to check out any of her work, it'll be there for you. Did you enjoy this first ever special episode of books? 
We've read a lot of great silent books, but what should we check out next? What silent film books have you fine listeners been reading? Let us know all that and more at the various social media and book nooks of the Golden Silent Films podcast. On that note, if you have forgotten, we are on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know what you think of this episode. What silent and silent-related movies, past or present, domestic or abroad, do you want us to look at next? Our world of silent movie knowledge and experience is constantly growing, and we need your input as we move on to Season 4. You can always find us at the Golden Silence cast on Instagram and at Golden Silence 1 on Twitter. And again, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast outlet that allows it, subscribe, rate, and review. It does a lot for our visibility, and we love hearing your thoughts and ideas. We really, really, really appreciate all of your incredible support, and seeing how much you folks are listening only makes us want to make bigger and better episodes. And more. Trust me, we're going to do more episodes. With all that being said, thank you to all of you fine listeners for all of your fine listening. And don't forget, the silence are golden, and the talkies are just a fad. And read books. And that, folks, closes the book on Season 3. As much as we'd like to stick around and celebrate the past year, we have some uh, a bon voyaging to do. Season 4 will see the podcast go global as we embark on our World Tour 24. The home office of the Golden Silent Films podcast is now mobile as we zip around from country to country, film to film. Our luggage is packed and our passports are securely in their special commemorative Elton John passport holders. Nothing can stop us now as we make our way across the Atlantic towards picturesque and cinematically significant Scandinavia. We look forward to catching back up with you there as we celebrate the start of the new year in Sweden and contemplate life, relationships, tuberculosis, and other things in the Phantom Carriage. Safe travels, everyone, and we'll meet you in Stockholm. <laughs>